the older I get, the more I appreciate simplicity. I don't know about you. Simplicity is a gift, but it's an effort. Is it not to reach simplicity? Because we live in, in such a, a culture that's cluttered, a culture that is overwhelming and overflowing with stuff and numbers and facts and figures. And, and simplicity is one of those things that when you get down to beautiful simplicity, it has great value. When you look at the Bible, the, it, is, it is a daunting uh, book. The volume just itself is, is overwhelming. When you begin to read, you don't know exactly where to read. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I like cliff notes because they're simple. They save me time. They get right down to the core of a, of a book. So if, if you want to read War and Peace, man, give me the four-page version. I, I dig that. What's the book about? Tell me the core of it and how it ends. I, I, I'm all good with that. And I think when it comes to the Bible, so many people don't read it because it seems overwhelming. They don't know where to start. They may start in the, in the, uh, in the Old Testament. And man, there are a bunch of names you can't pronounce and a bunch of places you've never heard of before. And, and you're not quite sure where to start. And there's just chapters and verses and books and books. It's heavy. I called my mom last week. She's an avid Bible reader. Hey, mom, what are you doing? I'm reading the book of Jeremiah. I'm like, wow, that's pretty heavy. A lot of chapters, as I remember. And uh, I said, that, that, that's, 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 pretty, uh, that's pretty weighty. And so I called her yesterday. Hey, what are you doing? I'm reading the book of Ezekiel. I'm like, wow, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's even heavier. And so if you get into some of those books, I'm like, mom, you know about the book of John, right? That's uh, you know, uh, <laughs> easier to, to attach yourself to. But when you get into the Bible... Because it's so overwhelming, there are some times where we need to say, now let's just step back for a minute. And through all the complexities and the theology and the doctrines and the layers of past, present, future that we find in the Bible, there's sometimes we need just to say, let's remind ourselves of the cliff notes, the simplicity of the story of God. Because it differs from the story of other religions. This book I'm holding in my hand, the Bible, differs from other sacred literature of, of religions around the world. And there's one core, simple truth that differs, that makes this, this book different, that it tells the story of God in such a way that is very unique. When we read the story of God in all of its fullness and all of its, in, in its clarity, the story of God is often found in times of predicament. It's in times of predicament, by the way, that the best of humanity and the worst of humanity comes out. When there's a natural disaster like a hurricane, we see such a contrast. Those who lend a helping hand, those who come and fly in or drive in to help others, but at the same time, those who have chosen to steal, to loot, to, to take advantage of the situation. And when you look at humanity in general, for me, when I was struggling in my journey towards God in my 20s, there were certain things that, as a, a non-believer in Jesus, that drew me to the reality that there was more than met the eye. Creation was one of those. I realized that there are people who believe that we were created from a spore or 
uh, the Big Bang and, and or evolution and, and, and different theories. But there was something in me, even as a non-believer, that thought to myself, it's too ingeniously systematized. There is something here that there's got to be something beyond just my my instinct. And so I was thankful for that because not everybody seems to have that, like to prove things scientifically. But oddly enough, the thing that really that drew me to God was the existence of good and evil. And you and and there's if if you don't see that that tension, all you have to do is just turn to your favorite news channel that there is some there's something intrinsic in human nature that there's a predicament. There's a predicament of good versus evil. And there's a predicament that the human race struggles with that. It's present. You see, that can't be evolved. That can't come from a spore. That can't come from a fish or a chimpanzee. There's something in us that doesn't even need to be taught. How do I know that? I have two boys at home. Even when they were six months old, there was no manual. They couldn't read. And they already, from the the get-go, they already understood. A six-year-old understands how to be selfish. A six-month-old, how to be selfish. And everything is about them. And they didn't even learn that from anyone. So there's this intrinsic tension. And in those moments of tension, in those moments of predicament, in those moments where the human race is at its ugliest, Those are the clearest moments of light. In those darkest moments, we see God in his most simple form come to the human race and say, let me me allow you to understand in all clarity of how this whole thing works, what this whole book is about. So as as a matter of an overture this morning, we're going to look at a very well-known predicament, a one that is a part of the story that we we all know uh, if you know the Bible. But even if you don't, you'll catch on. I could have predict. I could have cho- chosen any predicament, because the predicament and how God intervenes is really cliff notes. And there could have been. I could have chosen many many passages and say, well, there's another set of cliff notes. There it is. Now the cliff notes say all the same thing and point to all the same direction. I'm talking about the prediction or, or the predicament. Of the, of the Israelites, God peop, God's people that he chose to focus on for so many years in the Old Testament when they were in prison and enslaved in the nation of Israel. God called Moses to lead them out, as many of you know, in the book of Exodus in chapter 3. And in the book of Exodus in that chapter, what we see is a very clear understanding of how our whole faith works and how the, the very core of this Bible As they were enslaved there, God said these words to Moses in chapter 3 of Exodus and verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. Verse 8, so I have come down to rescue them. It is the core of the core of the Bible. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So for some of you that like cliff notes, you may say, well, that's even still too many words. So what I've done is I've shadowed the in-between words so that, you, so that the, 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 the message even comes out. In essence, what God is saying is, I have seen the misery of my people. I have heard them 
because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them, to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. This is the story of the Bible. You can find it in, in nearly every chapter of every book in the scripture. You can hear it ringing through the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of its simplicity. What God is saying is I've seen humanity. See, each of us were born into a predicament. We did not find this predicament on our own. That's, that's how a six-month-old already knows how to be selfish. They didn't learn it. We were born. David said, from my mother's womb was I born in sin. Not because of what I've done. Because if it's based, if my condition of being a sinner is based on what I've done, now we're on a system of gradations. That means you did 3,700, I've done 3,900, and the guy over there in the corner did 47,000. I can tell by just looking at him. And we're all in trouble if that's the case because none of us would know how many is too many. So God sees that predicament. He sees the human race in its worst case scenario that we needed rescuing and religion promises us that if we reach high enough and hard enough and do it good enough, then somehow we will win favor out of this predicament. But the problem is that life is a test and we don't get the grade of the tests until the second after we take our last breath. And then it's too late to course correct the test. That causes me way too much angst. And frankly, it's not good news at all. You see, I don't want my life to be hanging in the balance so that when I get to, to eternity into the afterlife, I found out that I, I got a 78. I got a C. And in order to get in, I needed an 83, a B minus. I'm like, ah, oh, man, if I could just go back. You remember Jesus told the story of a, a rich man, Lazarus, and the rich man died and he went separated from God for all eternity. He failed the test. And he said, if I could just go back. God says, too late. I don't want to live my life with a mindset of wondering that I've wondered if by my own effort and my own strength, my own goodness, that I could rescue myself out of the predicament. For that reason, God said, rest assured, it's not up to you. I understand the predicament of the human race. And now I'm coming down and I will come down to you. You see, God came down to Abraham. God came down to Adam. God came down to Moses when he sequestered himself. God came down to Gideon. God came down to Peter when he was lost. Is there something hitting me in the head? Awesome. <laughs> something came down on my head. Oh, I don't know what it is. Is it a bee? If it's a bee, you have full permission to smack me right in the head. God came down. What is the core simplistic cliff notes? We were in a predicament. God heard it. God saw it. It concerned him enough. Not that it just concerned him. It concerned him enough to come down and rescue us, to release us from the predicament, to come out of that land into a spacious place called heaven. That is the cliff note of the Bible. I've saved yourself a lifetime of reading and studying, have I not? When we read these words, I'm excited. But what can happen for us 
as followers of Jesus is that I truly believe that worship and prayer and giving, Christ said, they're all barometers. They're barometers of what's going on in our heart. Jesus said, where your your treasure is, that's a barometer. That's where your heart is. Where your worship is an outward sign and what comes out of your heart, Jesus said, what comes out of your mouth, that's an indicator of what's inside. If I do it apathetically, it's it's a barometer. It's a temperature gauge of what's going on. And for that reason, I'll repeat myself that I believe it's important for us as believers of Jesus Christ to come together sometimes and rally ourselves around the release of God. To remind ourselves of the beauty of it, the power of it, the depth of it. There are so many stories where God's people, although they should have been living in a stratosphere of identifying in their identity as God. Like, oh, wow, I'm that. But somehow they've forgotten that and they live in a lower stratosphere. They have forgotten that they are no longer a slave to sin, but they are a child of God. And God's like, oh, I didn't design you for that. I designed you to be passionate, to be excited, to be leaning forward, to be givers, to be livers of the gospel, to be living it out, to be sharing it, to be excited about it. So sometimes when I'll come into a room and a worship pastor has to like try to rev it up, I'm like, oh boy, there's something in the inside that we need to remind ourselves of. You remember the story of Joseph and his brothers in the Old Testament. There's a long list of details. I won't get into it. But because of certain reasons, all of his brothers, and there were, there were many of them, they decided, except one of them, decided to conspire against the brother Joseph because God had given him a special gift and sent him a special message, and they were jealous over it. And so they conspired, and some of them wanted to kill him. And so instead of killing him, we have in the Bible the first case of human trafficking. They sold him out so that they would receive money. And they sold him out to slavery. And they took uh, Joseph from their homeland and, and they took him and they traveled to Egypt. And so the brothers were separated. And then they went to the father. You'll recognize his name. His name is Jacob. And God changed the name Jacob to Israel. In fact, all these brothers, there were 12 of them all together. They represented, they were the, the beginning of the inauguration of the, na- the nation of Israel. So there was Benjamin, and then, so there were Benjaminites, and there, were, there was Reuben, there were Reubenites. So each of them had a name that represented a, a segment, a clan, a tribe of the nation of Israel. Those are details that, if they're too complicated, then dismiss those. But these brothers, they had been separated from Joseph. Then the brothers went to dad, you might remember, and said, dad, uh, here's, his, here's his jacket, and, and, he's, and, and they put some animal blood on, and they faked his death, and they said they wouldn't want to tell him that they sold him into slavery. So for years and years, these brothers were separated from their brother Joseph, and, and Joseph, as you know, was a picture of Christ. In many ways, we spent a whole collection looking at that. He was sold by his own. He was sold out by his own. He was put in this place under the ground, a prison, like Christ was put in a tomb. He came out by not power of his own, but power of those above, the power of God. He came out of that lower place, and then he governed. He had the, the power to govern the entire land like Christ. His government shall have no end. Beautiful picture that God gives to us in the Old Testament of who Jesus is going to be and who he is. 
And so Joseph, he came out and he became powerful. And all the time there was a famine going on. And so these brothers had to come together. Finally, they were forced to come together. And they recognized at one point that that it was Joseph who they had just dismissed for years and years. It was a reunion that could only be made in a Hollywood movie. It just it just came to play like, wow, how could that happen? Because God is more exciting than Hollywood movies, by the way. And so God brought them together in this moment. You know, if you're Joseph and you've been stewing for years and years and years, you might think, gosh, I, I can't wait to see those guys. I can't wait to get out of this prison because the first day I do, I know where I'm going. I'm going to pay them back. See, some people have an image of God that way, that he's been in heaven brewing for years and years, just kind of ticked off at the human race because God could be that way. By the way, he's God. He could have the choice like, man, I'm telling you, when I see them, when they die and they get to heaven, I'm going to let them have it. Some people's image, unfortunately, it's embedded in the image of God is embedded in their minds that way. God doesn't design us to live that way. So these brothers, they finally came. Joseph recognized them. And then he revealed himself in the biggest uh uh-oh moment of the Bible. Joseph said, it's me. The guy that you sold. I'm the guy that you trafficked. I'm the guy that's been paying the price all these years. Here's what I'm going to do. Can you hear a pin drop in the room at that moment? I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to come down. You're hungry. You're in famine. I'm going to rescue you. It's a perfect picture. Again, cliff notes of who Jesus is. And in fact, he said, I'm going to give you a receipt. Because I don't know about you, but when I go to the store and there's been something that, man, it's the, it's the, a payment, I get a receipt every single time. I want to know that. And especially if it's a big payment, you know, like the last payment of a car payment. I always They say, Mr. McCoy, you want a receipt? You betcha I do. I want that thing in my folder. I want it in my hand that that thing has been paid for. You see, Jesus, or Joseph said, look, I'm going to forgive you, but it's not enough. I want you to feel something and see something and know something. I'm going to give you a receipt. I want y'all to come on down. He was Southern. I don't know if you knew that. I want y'all to come on down. Bring the whole family. And we're going to live. I'm going to give you some land as a receipt, as a visible receipt of my forgiveness. Because my words may not mean enough to you. I want to prove to you physically that I mean business. Take this plot of land over here. Y'all take this plot of land over here and invite dad. Have him come on down. So dad came on down. They were living together. And in the last chapter of the book of Genesis, the dad dies. Jacob dies. And after he passes away, the brothers begin to think, hmm, maybe this thing wasn't as real as we thought. The receipt has faded a little bit. You know how receipts do that? You can't quite read them. The receipt has faded a little bit. And that's true for some of us as Christians. The receipt fades. And that's why we don't. Feel like we want to give joyfully because the receipt has faded. That's why we, we forget to say, man, my hands are in my pockets instead of in the air during worship. That's why I'm like, man, I'm not on my knees at home behind closed doors. Because if we're not careful, the receipt fades and they forgot. And I got to tell you, if Joseph indeed is a picture of Jesus, it breaks his heart. Watch. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their dad was dead, their father was dead, they said, 
to themselves, hey, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us? What if this whole thing wasn't real? And he pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him. So there's plenty of believers that say, I got it. I know. I got the receipt, the cross, the blood, Jesus, back from the dead. I got it. But man, I tell you, you don't know what I did last week. And the receipt has faded. And what happens, watch. They live in a lower stratosphere. Or they may say, man, I'm a Christian, but doggone it, I can't kick this thing. And we all experience that thing, don't we? That's T-H-A-N-G, thing. We all got that thing like, man, I can't. And, and God said, oh, you're no longer a slave to sin, but a child of God. You're low. And what was happening is that the brothers now, instead of saying, whoo, man, Joseph, he's forgiven us. We got property. We got received. We got proof. This is amazing. I can't believe this guy. I, I'm going to send him a birthday card every week, even though it's not his birthday card, because I love him so much. But they're like, I don't know, man. I'm not sure this thing. They're little living down here. No birthday card sent. No giving, no living it out. No worship. So they began to put their own effort in as we do as human beings. And they lied. So they went to Joseph. And they sent word to him in verse 16. And they began to lie. This is not a truth. They said, hey, um, just didn't know if you knew this, but before dad died... Your father left these instructions before he died. No, he didn't. You, you won't find these instructions. Joseph, dad said, this is what you're to say, Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the, of the servants of the God of your father. No, or forgive your brothers. You know what? It was too late that time. It was too late for Joseph to forgive. I'll tell you why. Because he had already forgiven. It was done. The, pace of, the price had been paid. Already gone to the store. Got the receipt. Got the property. They did not have to go back and say, Hey, my dad said, Stop your human effort. The simplicity is already a done deal. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. You remember the shortest passage in the Bible? Jesus wept. It's here too. When we're living in a lower stratosphere, you see, we are a released people. And when the enemy wants to steal that identity and we're living lower than that, Jesus weeps. Verse 18, his brothers then came and they threw themselves down before them, before him and they showed him, are you ready? Their ID card. They had not embraced the identity of being released from their conspiracy, released from their murder plots, released from their selfishness, released from their human trafficking, released from their lying to dad all these years, released for putting him in jail, released from all that. That was the identity card that God gave to them. But when they came in this moment, they said, we are slaves after being forgiven and released from that predicament, we are slaves. And so for that reason, today, in a very simple way, we're going to remind ourselves of what God has released us from. Just a few things. It could go on all afternoon, but just a few things. And because I wanted it simple, 
these things, they all begin with the letter P. I know it's very against my nature. I usually don't do those type, those the types of, but I wanted it to be simple. Uh, that's the first reason. The second reason, I just ripped this right off the internet. So I'm just kidding. Some of you are like, oh, okay, that's weird. I just want to see if you're still with me. We have been released by several things. And my hope is that as a Christian, you think, oh, wow, that's right. Or man, the depth of that is right. Or if you've come looking for God today, if you haven't settled the predicament with God, I pray. I've been praying all week. There are others sitting in this room praying right now. I pray truly that God will like just awaken you. Awaken your soul. This is a message for our souls. This is not about our homes, our schedules, our lives. This is a message about our soul. I remind you one more time that we are not human bodies that contain a soul. We're not. We're souls that happen to be encased by a human body. Why do I say that? Because the human soul will live forever and ever and ever, either with God or separated from God. That old body is going to fade away, as it has for many of us. It's fading. It's in a decrescendo, as we would say in music. Here's the first thing we've been released from. Christ came in all his simplicity. He saw our predicament. And he released us from that predicament. He released us from the predicament of sin. You think, okay, that's, what is the predicament? Well, there are layers to the predicament. Here's the first predicament. And if when you, the more you think about it, you think, wow, that is a predicament. You see, we call things a predicament that, ah, oh, man, predicament. They didn't put enough ice in my coffee at Starbucks. That's a predicament. Or, yeah, I don't know how many times I've done this. I don't know about you. Like, I'm, I'm approaching the toll booth, and about 50 feet out, I recognize I have no quarters. And I'm like, would you take eight cents? That doesn't work. It's a predicament. And so we minimize our predicaments. This, is, this predicament is eternal. This is not a light predicament. This is not a temporary predicament. This is a huge predicament. The first layer of predicament is this. We're helpless. You see, it's one thing to say, hey, man, I'm moving this weekend. Can you help me? That's a, that's a level of predicament. I, I need some help. And then nobody shows up. I'm like, ah, that's kind of a bummer, but I can still do it. That is not a helpless predicament. There are hardships. There are hard places that we find ourselves in, but we can still help ourselves. That's much different than my house burning down and I'm trapped in the corner room and I need to call 911. And at that moment, I will say, I am helpless. I cannot get out of this because that is the definition of helpless. Christ knew that. Watch this. When he came to earth, one of the first things he did was step into the, to, to a sacred space, a temple. He opened up the scriptures, the Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah. And he read these words, the spirit of the Lord is on me. And because he has empowered me, anointed me, designed me, to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And recovery of sight for the blind. Here it is. To release the oppressed. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And when you read that. In the Old Testament. Every 50th year was supposed to be a year of the Lord's favor. They never did it by the way. But in the, in the 50th year. All debt was supposed to be released. 
that everybody was, you know, uh, no matter what your debt was, that it was designed to say, man, you're free of it. I am releasing you from the oppression uh, of, of debt. I don't know about you, but on the 49th year, I am buying the biggest TV and the nicest car ever because then I'll put it in debt. And then the 50th year, I'm like, whoa, that's pretty good. Maybe that's why it never happened. But Jesus said, I've come to release them from the predicament of the oppression of helplessness. If you've never been in, an, in a place of helplessness, you will not understand fully what I'm talking about. On the first day of 360, we publicly launched 369 years ago in November. And, in, and on, on that day, of course, we had worked many months toward that day and prayed and lots of hard work behind the scenes. And we'd advertised to the community. We opened up at the elementary school down the street. And it was a big deal for us, as you can imagine. We came out after the service, and above the building, there was a rainbow. And we said, well, God ordered that just for us today. We, we, were, we looked at it selfishly. We were like, hey, man, beautiful. At the time, we had two boys, one-year-old and three-year-old. By the way, don't let your life circumstances ever keep you from the dreams that God puts in your heart. I've heard too many parents with young parents, with young kids say, I can't. Oh, yes, you can. God can work through you. It was difficult, but it was, a, it was just a, a beautiful day and a beautiful celebration until dot, dot, dot. We put the kids in the car. And our oldest son, three years old, he was... Mm. While we were out there talking to the worship pastor, we were the only ones left. And so he's rocking in his chair and just having a good time. And in the course of it, some circus act miracle happened. And the, the seatbelt got wrapped around his, around his head, around his throat. And he began to, to become desperate. And you know how a seatbelt is that when you yank it, it catches and he would yank it and yank it and yank it until it was so short there was no more yank left and all of a sudden woohoo became Wah! sounded like a velociraptor in our car of course we're freaked out we forgot the rainbow we forgot the, the launch we forgot all those things and in that moment we felt what it was like to have to experience human helplessness. And we were like, man, what do we do? We were like, we don't know. I mean, and he was, now he's, you can tell, and we're like, desperate. You see, this is the desperation that sometimes erodes, erases from our receipt that we were born as sinners and there was no rescue of religion, no matter what, no, no matter what anybody tells you, it cannot rescue. The human race. And if we realize that only God could come down in the desperation of our helplessness. So our the worship pastor at the time, he pulled out this big knife, which still makes me wonder. <laughs> okay, why do we... And we're getting ready to cut the 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 um you know the seatbelt out and and but he jumped in and just desperately he was moving fast and somehow he found two inches of room and by moving the seat back just two inches just enough to barely get that seat belt off the and when they came off 
See, you're not going to know what I'm going to say and how I'm going to shout here for a second. But if you've never experienced a desperation of helplessness, when that thing came off, whoo, that's how it feels. Maybe you've never been there. Maybe you've never been on the brink of dying, the brink of being drowned. I've seen people drown, literally, and on the brink of drowning, both. You've never seen that, but if you've experienced it. You see, the challenge for us as Christians is to remind ourselves, as we sing today, that the Lord regarded our helpless estate. It's not, it is not an easy predicament. So, Jesus came down, and it would have been easy for him to not have to say, to, to enter in, to infuse himself in humanity, and growing up as a carpenter's son, and when he reached 30 years old, to walk around and say, hey, you're forgiven. I release you. I release you. I release you. Kind of even feels fun to say, I release you. Who in the world is going to believe that? Never met the guy. I wouldn't believe him, would you? I'm just standing in the crowd and some guy walks and he's got sandals and a beard with British accent. No, that's the movie. Sorry. And he comes along and says, hey, I, I forgive you. So Jesus said, oh, I see. That's not going to be good enough. You're going to need a receipt. You're going to need something real. This is where God, I just get so moved because God is so beautifully compassionate. He says, let me, get, I get it. You're going to need a receipt. So I'm going to give you a receipt. You remember in the Old Testament, I've said it many times, it's a picture of, of what's coming, right? So, you know, when the, he's meeting with the, Jesus, meeting with the disciples on the road to Amazing, he says, I oh, remember the Old Testament, remember the, remember the Passover lamb? Well, that was a picture. You remember when Moses held up the brazen serpent? It was like a picture of the cross. And I'm like, oh, wow, oh, cool. You're sitting there, oh, cool. Or you remember when, you know, the, the struck the rock and the rock gave out water? You see, that was a picture. See, God didn't come down to earth to do a circus, he didn't come down and say, hey, watch this. I'm going to make water come out of rock. He came with all those miracles to point to something bigger. So I'm not going to walk on thin ice here. See, Jesus didn't come just to heal bodies. He did that, and he still does that in my, in my perspective and my reality, too. He came not just to say, hey, let me just heal the blind and let the blind men see and the lame and the crippled walk and the, and the disease, let them be healed. He's, he didn't come for that. Why? Why would I say that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because that was temporary. And God's eternal. So Jesus didn't come to heal a, a, a crippled man and help him to walk because he's going to die in 40 years. So what was the point? His point was he's, gonna, he's sending a picture. And here's the, here's the picture. Here's the receipt. Jesus walks up one day. There's a man laying there. He can't walk. In fact, he's never been able to walk. First thing out of his mouth is your sins are forgiven. You're released. All the religious people went nuts. See, because he was breaking their system. Their system was like... No, you got to go through us. And it ticked them off. And they said, how can you say that? Only God can say that. And he said, oh, I see. You're going to need a receipt. Then he asked him a question. And so he, he faces off with him. Matthew chapter 9. He said, okay, let me ask you a question. Jesus was the master question asker, wasn't he? He said, what is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say that this guy laying over here has been crippled all his life. Get up and walk. What's the answer to that question, by the way? It's easier to say. Your sins are forgiven. Why? Because he can't prove it. He could not prove it that day that their sins were forgiven, even though he says sins were forgiven. So the answer to the question, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk to this guy who's never been able to walk? Well, the, the answer is, well, it's easier to say 
uh, uh, you know, your sins are forgiven. He said, great, great, I'll take the harder one. Get up and walk. Because you're going to need a receipt. See, here's the deal. I'm proving to you, Jesus is saying, I'm proving to you that I have the power over helplessness. I have the power over permanency. I have the power over those things that you have looked at that no one else can get through because I'm going to relate that to your sins which no man can get across that threshold of forgiveness. So he says, but so that you may know, in Matthew 9, chapter, uh, verse 6, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, get up and take your mat and show these people a receipt. And in that moment, you must have said to yourself, okay, I believe the forgiveness thing because I got a receipt, you see. We need this sense of things, of being released from our helplessness. By the way, do you really see yourself as helpless? Because if you see yourself as helpless, then God's release is so much sweeter. So much sweeter. Had our son just been mildly entangled in a seatbelt and we just happened to get him out, not a lot of really rejoicing on that one. But when we found out, we, were, we felt the helplessness. I'm calling you today to look in your soul and realize, ah, oh, man, there was no way out. You won't be able to keep your hand down during worship. Here's another predicament. Here's another layer of the predicament. If you speed and it's your first offense, you're going to probably pay 145 bucks. How do I know that so well? <laughs> if you speed through a how do you, if you speed through a um, school zone, I don't know, honey, was it two hundred and ten dollars? I won't pay for that one. <laughs> if you shoplift. If it's your first offense, there's a, there's a penalty. If you murder, the punishment is higher. You may be sent away. You may be executed in some states. The punishment of sin is so much deeper as the predicament of helplessness. The, the magnitude of sin is the second, of the punishment is the second Thing that when we figure that out, when we figure out the penalty, see, there's one thing from an officer letting you go from a speeding ticket. There's another thing from being pardoned for murder. And there's another thing of being rescued from the punishment of sin. God clearly says that the punishment of sin is death. Watch in Psalm 102 in verse 19. The text says that the Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high. There he is again, just like in Exodus chapter 3. Here's another cliff note for you. From heaven he viewed the earth to hear the groans, the predicament of the prisoners. And here it is. And release those condemned to death. Now see, death in the Bible is a lot bigger than death at the funeral home. Death in the Bible means separation. And it means separation for good. That means that when we take our last breath, 
if we have not allowed and applied the, the, the blood of Jesus Christ to our sin so that we may be righteous in God's sight, then we will pay the punishment. And the punishment is that we will be separated from God for all of eternity. We have no clue what it feels like. I get impatient waiting on a bus or waiting on a call for 10 minutes. Can you imagine 10 hours, 10 days, 10 weeks, 10 months, 10 years, 10 decades, 10 centuries, 10 millennia, 10 million, 10 trillion, 10 gajillion, 10 after 10 after 10 after 10 after 10 trillion years separated away from God. God is the only source in eternity from light. Therefore, because if we're separated from God for all of eternity, it will be pitch black, dark, the punishment that God saved us from. I cannot contain myself. We are a released people. We're released from the depth of the punishment. There are times where we need to look at ourselves like, oh, the helplessness was overwhelming. But the punishment, the predicament of the punishment, even more overwhelming. That's why in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death's eternal separation, but the gift of God is eternal witness, that we're with God, eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'm sorry, that's not good news. That's great news. And not only that's great news, but there is a receipt because Christ left a receipt and it's right there. It is his cross that proved to us that I mean business. And I came back from the dead as the ultimate receipt in life that he came back and released us. Now watch, why are we talking about this and why am I so passionately screaming about it? Because in Luke 7 verse 47, Jesus said this. He who has been forgiven little, loves little. Now, we've all been forgiven for a lot of stuff. But I think the intent of what Jesus was saying is he who realizes that he's been forgiven little or thinks that or is living in a lower stratosphere, well, it wasn't all that bad, is going to love little, is going to give little. It's a privilege. To give back to the God who saved me from eternal separation. I'm telling you, it affects the way you pray. It affects the way you worship. It affects the way you give. It affects the way you share your faith. It affects the way you disciple. It affects the way you, uh, what you look at and what you don't. It affects the way you love him back to say, God, I'm recognizing the depth of the punishment from which you have saved me. Here's the third and final layer of a predicament. You see, there are times when we can pay things off in installment plans. Many of you might recognize those words. I have a 30-year note on my house. <clears throat> now, well, I did refi once, so it's more than 30 years. And then when I refi the second time, now it's a lot more than that, those years. And the installment plans just keep going and going and going. But they're okay with that. In fact, they love it. Because there's more interest, right? 
Stores love the, the, the payment plan. I grew up in a layaway plan. You couldn't get it until you paid for it. Kind of like that. But now you can have it and not pay for it, and there's installment plans. Heaven is not an installment plan. The prophet uh, Habakkuk reminds us that God cannot look on an iota of sin, that in his presence it must be paid in full. So the predicament is this, that the price must be paid in full. Religion tries to pay it all. I can't ask anybody in any religion. They say, well, I'm going to do the best I can. No one would claim to even be perfect. Well, that's not good enough for heaven. The price must be paid in full. In fact, God said in, in Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 22, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. They're gone. I've blown them. I've just blown them right away. Some of you I've shared this with in my early days coming out of college. Like so many college students, college grads, I had student loans that just were going to take me years to pay off. I was living on the red letter edition of a version of my life. You know, the red letter of the version when the bills are coming in with the red letters. They say, if you don't pay it, we're cutting it off. I was there. But because I was a musician and that was my trade, I needed I needed a tool. And I needed a good tool. So I purchased with installment plans on a credit plan a piano, a grand piano, a beautiful piano. I still have it today. Because I had layered myself in so much oppression of debt, I was to an edge. I was past the edge. I was helpless. I don't know if there's been a time for you that you've gone to lunch and somebody's picked up the bill. Man, it feels good, doesn't it? And, and guys, we have the, the kind of the courteous reach for the wallet. Hey, are you sure? You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I'll pick up the tab. Are you sure? You know, we're like, we're opening. He says, yeah, I'm really sure. But we, we still have to do this. We're like, hey, no problem. I can, no. And then you're like, no, I, I really mean it. I'm like, cool, awesome. It doesn't take me a lot if you go out to lunch with me. This is going to take twi- just twice. Are you sure? Yeah, good, excellent. I'm going to still reach for it. But it feels good, doesn't it? For somebody to pay the bill, it's neat. If you ever had a, 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 a speeding ticket or something like that, 145 bucks or something, and somebody pays it, man, that's like, wow, that's amazing. I'll never forget when I got the note in the mail for the piano that was so necessary for my life, and I was so swimming in debt. And I opened the envelope, and there were those three beautiful words. Because I didn't know that my mom had sent the check. And it said paid in full. See, if you haven't experienced that, you're not going to know exactly what I mean. But when you do, I don't know. There's something about it that just drags your hand northward. Oh, God, thank you. That my sin, not in part, but the whole, has been paid. You know the words. And see, once it's been paid in full, there's a no moreness to it. You see, we sang it earlier. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And it's over, y'all. 
I bear it no more. Woo! We're a release people. Now, that's good news, isn't it? I got some bad news. That was only my first point. I have two more. We'll move quickly. We're released from this three-layer predicament of sin. We're released from it. That ought to be enough. But let me say quickly, we're also released from the power of sin because even though we live free from the predicament of sin, we can sometimes find ourselves under the power of sin. And the challenge is that even though we're We're saved and we're Christians. We can still be controlled by certain sins. But God said, I'm here to provide for you the power of the Spirit of God in you to do what you think and believe and your identity that you can never do. You see, what happened is that we look at this and think, I cannot change. And that's not the way that God has um, designed this. Watch Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 13, verse 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard change his spots? The answer is no, of course not. Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. In and of yourself, you face the power of sin in your life unless God is driving it. And that's why in Romans chapter 6, we read these words. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. See, the power of God comes in and gives you the control of righteousness, the ability, the capacity to live above, not perfectly, but to live above those unhealthy patterns. And and, and so often when somebody's caught in an unhealthy pattern, I'm like, have you called out to God? Have you, have you, have you cashed in to the power within? Have you, have you called on him to say, man, I know that you're living within me. I need you, God, to do what I cannot do to help me live above the power of apathy, above the power of selfishness, above the power of lying, above the power of lust, above the power of I don't careness. And God should say, oh, I'm, I'm all about that because I don't want you to live there. When you were slave to sins, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you're now ashamed of? Those things result in separation from God, death. But now that you've been set free from sin, you've become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 6, the mind of sinful man is death. The mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. Broken hearted this weekend, as I read in relevant magazines, a Christian magazine, that this weekend hundreds of pastors and Christian leaders will resign because of the reveal of uh, Ashley Madison. They'll resign. And it breaks my heart for my brothers because they were, they were called to the power of God and every single one of us is susceptible. Sin knocks on my door every day. Sin rings my doorbell on the internet every day. Make no mistake, I'm just like you. It is for that reason that it drives me to my knees. Oh God, in and of myself, I will absolutely fail. I will absolutely blow it. I have proven it over and over and over and over and over. And because God wants to release us from the power of sin, He drives us to our knees and say, Oh God, today, I need it fresh today. Your power in me today. To do what I cannot do. Oh, Holy Spirit, lead me, guide me, keep me, guard me. Are you praying that? Otherwise, you're living in a dangerous 
predicament. See, when the brothers came to him and said, we identify ourselves as slaves, Joseph said to them in Genesis 50, verse 21, don't be afraid. I will provide for you. It's God's job. God has released us from the predicament of sin. He's released us from the power of sin. And finally, he's released us from the prejudice of sin. You know, a person that's prejudiced looks down on another person because of their gender, because of their social status, because of the color of their skin, their race, their religion. See, prejudice says, I'm better than you are. But see, God, with all the things we've talked about today, what it does is that it puts us on equal plane. That I can't be prejudiced against you for your sin because I'm released and you're released. I'm free and you're free. I was helpless and you were helpless. And now because of that, I cannot get on a pedestal and think poorly of you because of your sin. Will I address it? Of course. Will you address it to me? I hope so. But instead of looking down, you'll stick out your arm and say, let me walk with you because we're both released people. Watch this. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. If someone is caught in a sin, then make them feel like dirt. Well, I'm glad it doesn't say that. If someone is caught in a sin, you get higher than them and be really prejudiced against them. No, of course not. If someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, don't be afraid, he cat, and keep it to yourself. But restore them gently and say, man, we are released people. Let's live like it. People need that when they're in sin. Jesus said, hey, don't cast the first stone. Which one of you going to do that? And Jesus said, look, you got to get on their level and not be prejudiced. So watch this. The brothers came to Joseph and they threw himself down in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 18. They threw themselves down before him and said, we're your slaves. And Joseph said, wait a minute, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? I can't put myself above you. That is not my position. We are a released people, released from the predicament of, of sin. Is there anyone. I'm going to give you a little runway. That's excited about being released from the predicament of sin. Is there anyone in this room. That would say. Woo, I'm released from the predicament of sin. Excellent. I'm going to work on that back quarter back there. Are you, real, are you excited. That I don't have to live. Under the dark oppression of sin in my life. That God could come behind us and say. Man. I will help you live above sin. Is there anybody that's excited about that? The back got really excited about that one. I'm excited that we're in this thing together as released people. Now, when I come to a moment like this, as I've been up here, I'm the only one up here screaming and ranting and raving. I'm going to give you a chance to scream and rant and rave. We're going to end this with an exclamation point of worship. Don't you feel like you have to? That you're like, man, I gotta, I gotta say something. So I'm gonna invite the band up, and they're gonna, they're gonna just um, underline and highlight this with us as released people. And as we do that, I'm gonna, we're gonna stand like the people of God did in ancient days and read the scripture out loud to deeply appreciate that God saved us when we were helpless. God paid the penalty. In full of a punishment that was more profound and deep and more absolutely awful than we can ever imagine. 
that God lives within us and releases us from the power of sin and God puts us on equal plane. I hope that you cannot contain yourself. So would you stand with me as we begin to celebrate? And would you read together with me Psalm 107? Here we go. God brought us out of darkness and the deepest gloom and broke away our chains. Let us give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Woo! 